0: I'd like to think that in 10 years, there really isn't any focus on sustainable investing. It's just investing.
1: We're just a few weeks into 2020, but it's already starting to look like sustainability is going to drive conversation this year, unlike previous years. So today, we're continuing our mini series, Sustainability Our New Standard, exploring the ways that sustainability and climate change in particular will transform investing. In our active business, which represents $1.8 trillion, we are exiting businesses that present high ESG, or environmental, social, and governance risk, such as thermal coal producers. We're launching new investment products that screen out fossil fuels, and we're increasing transparency in our investment stewardship activities. For our second episode, I went to London to talk to Philip Hildebrand, BlackRock's vice chairman, and Rachel Lord, our head of Europe, Middle East, and Africa. On the heels of announcements from BlackRock about how we're putting sustainability at the heart of our firm and business, the three of us talked about how sustainability has been at the forefront of finance for some time, but why there's a lot more to come in 2020. I'm your host, Mary Catherine. Later, We hope you enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, MC. Great to be here.
0: Thank you. It's very good to be here.
1: So we at BlackRock just announced a number of changes, putting sustainability at the center of our investment approach. We're increasing transparency around stewardship, expanding our product set, and doing a lot in technology and analytics as well. And as part of that, we're doing this podcast series, Sustainability, Our New Standard. So, Philip, you oversee sustainable investing at BlackRock, among other responsibilities. What does making sustainability standard mean to you?
0: Well, let's focus on the climate piece, which is the most important part of it. It's not the only part, but it's the most important part. You know, the physics are pretty clear. We have a global warming problem that I would argue is the most significant challenge we face as humanity over the next decades. If we want to stay to the global warming path of one and a half percent of warming over the next decades, we will need to reduce significantly CO2 emissions. In other words, we need to go by 2050, let's say, to a net zero CO2 emission economy. That means we have a very significant transformation of the global economy ahead of us with a long transition path, but, you know, it's decades, it's not hundreds of years. That will lead to very significant changes in the way the global economy operates, which will require very significant changes in global capital allocation. That, in turn, leads to relative changes in prices. And that, of course, greatly impacts any investment portfolio. And so from that, it's very clear that as a fiduciary, it is our responsibility to help our clients navigate this because literally every significant portfolio worldwide is very likely to get affected by this change in capital allocation and the change in relative prices, which will be inevitable as part of the transition To a much lower carbon emission economy. The second piece, I would say, it's pretty clear when you look at the research, the analytics we have today, that integrating sustainability factors into your portfolios ultimately will create better risk-adjusted performance. So again, from a fiduciary responsibility, it's pretty clear when you look at it this way that we have an obligation to step forward and get ahead of this.
1: And we'll come back to whether what we're doing needs to be one component of the broader set of solutions. But first, Rachel, Philip talked about how this is really rooted in our clients' needs and our obligation to be a fiduciary to them. You spend most of your time with our clients, and particularly in Europe, as the head of EMEA.
2: What have you heard so far as you've heard responses to this announcement? The conversation we've been having with clients really over the last number of years, actually, has accelerated. And every few months, the amount of conversations we have grow and grow and grow. And so we were very interested in what would clients say once we made these announcements. I think there's a few key points that uh, it's worth making. One, here in Europe, an overwhelming response that is positive. Our clients are pleased that we have been so thoughtful about the actions that we have said we're taking. But interestingly, they're all looking for help. And so whether it's private wealth clients or institutions, really the whole spectrum of clients... We've had a lot of feedback and comments that actually they'd like us to come in and help them think about, well, how are they going to themselves implement more sustainability in their portfolios? How can they analyze the price of carbon? What's that going to do to assets that they hold? How can they think about transitioning from one strategy to a different strategy? And so it feels like we've tapped into a real need actually on behalf of clients to have a very thoughtful, deep intellectual conversation about, okay, what does this mean for them and how should they respond themselves going forward? I think it's been very positive.
0: I think now we have come out with some major announcements which will raise expectations. So our clients will expect us to deliver, but also the external world is going to look carefully at what we've set out and make sure we deliver. So internally, I think this has served as a great rallying point. We're talking to all the employees worldwide and everybody will be keenly aware of the fact that we have raised the bar and we now need to deliver and clients will expect us to help them really navigate these very difficult challenges. Mm
1: -hmm. And these difficult challenges are also in some cases hard to quantify. So we spent a lot of time thinking about climate and sustainability in part because there are more established ways of measuring some of those elements, some emerging ways of measuring social and governance factors. So let's start with the E part Mm -hmm. of ESG first. How do you think we have a responsibility and an opportunity to have an impact in evolving the understanding of the impact of climate change? So for example, what role do you see finance playing in the energy transition?
0: I think it's very important to restate over and over again that climate change is probably the defining challenge we face as mankind over the next decades. In the end, it's going to have to be governmental policy that we'll have to solve. It will require global cooperation, it will require regulation, laws, action by governments. This is not a problem that can be solved by the private sector, so we should have no illusions about that. And what we're doing, what other firms are doing, should in no way be an excuse for governments to sort of take a backseat. What we can do as the financial industry, I think we can be an accelerant, we can be a catalyst for positive change, we can be an amplifier. The power of capital that moves is a very significant force. And so the financial sector, and I would say the buy side, asset management in particular, Can play a very important role. For finance, I believe personally having sort of gone through the crisis as my seminal, I guess, career moment, that this is also an opportunity for finance, for our own industry in a sense to come out of a terrible decade where in many ways as an industry we have failed our clients, we have failed our societies. There's a way you can think of it as kind of redeeming ourselves as an industry if we get this right. So I think the stakes are very high. It will require close partnership, close cooperation between the public sector and the private sector, but the private sector has an important role to play. And I think in particular, asset managers and asset owners.
2: So I completely agree with everything Philip said. And I think one of the things that is powerful in particular for BlackRock is that we have a very loud voice. Mm-hmm. People listen to what we say. And so actually we're using our voice for good. And so we are not in and of ourselves going to solve the problems of climate change in the world. I completely agree this requires cooperation globally, it requires regulations, laws and everything else. What we can do is use our voice to amplify the messages, to make sure it's heard, to put this on the agenda and make it absolutely at the centre of conversations around finance. And I think that's where the actions we take, one, this is the right thing for clients, climate risk will reduce the returns our clients get in the portfolio. So that is, you know, as a fiduciary, that is our obligation. But two, I think it's actually good for society. We are raising the stakes, raising awareness. And, you know, when we talk, people listen. And to the point that people listen when BlackRock speaks in some form, they certainly pay attention
1: to how we vote. And part of this is increased transparency around our voting approach
2: and the votes themselves. What's the context for our current thinking about stewardship? I think, if I'm critical, we'd probably underestimated how much clients want to have that transparency. Mm. Now, obviously, clients who have assets with us know what we're doing, but I think it's more than just clients. It's stakeholders in general, society in general. We're going to be reporting on the engagements we have. We will be giving details about why we vote in a certain way in what we consider to be key votes. Often those are climate-related, but they're not just climate-related. I think that is going to help, and that is being applauded. I think the skeptics are saying, well, that's great, but you know, we want to see you do it. So they applaud the fact that we intend to do it, but they want to see it happen in action. So it's really on us to make sure that we carry this through. And that'll just take time. Yes, of course. I mean, you know, votes don't happen every day. Uh, (laughs) Big votes don't happen every day.
0: One other constituency that we should not forget, and that's our own colleagues internally. Mm -hmm. One of the things that struck me just talking to people is the uh, enormous sense of motivation Mm -hmm. and, in a sense, excitement also that we as a firm are taking these steps, that we have, in a sense, put a very specific and a clear dimension to the purpose discussion that Larry launched a couple of years ago. And I think this is a very important initiative in terms of not only motivating our own colleagues, but also attracting the best possible talent we can. And ultimately, that's going to be the ingredient that makes the success of this company in the long term.
1: Right, I think we all got phone calls, text messages, emails from people we knew. Do you have a favorite message or response that either of you got?
2: My 15-year-old daughter, when I went home, my 18-year-old was studying for her mocks, but my 15-year-old was being lazy and doing nothing. And so I said, well, you need to read. go on my website and read Larry's letter and read the client letter. And so she read them. She complained about how long they were, which actually some <laughs> other people complained about. But you know. And she said, Mum, this is really cool. Most of what you do is irrelevant. This actually looks really good. <laughs> I mean, if you can make your children proud of what you mm. do, I think all of our employees want to feel proud, whether it's their children or their parents or their friends or their, you know, whatever it happens to be. Doing things that you believe have a positive impact on society actually are the things that kind of make you lift up and proud to work at BlackRock. So, yeah, that was my bet. Mm-hmm. So looking ahead, this is a
1: rapidly evolving space, but what do you hope will be different in sustainability?
0: I would expect that one of the things this will do, it will put enormous pressure on other asset managers to follow in their own way, adapt it to their own business model. They're not the same in many cases as we are. But I think the dynamic here for asset managers to step up to this challenge on all fronts, whether it's the analytics, the product offering, the voting this will be a change that we'll see evolve very quickly over the next couple of years. It will simply be too hard and too disadvantageous from a commercial perspective, from a reputation perspective, not to follow up here.
2: To pick up on that, obviously we've signed up to Climate Action 100, and it was fascinating the feedback we had from some of the major players in Climate Action 100. They were very happy we'd signed up. It was partly because of the assets that we have, mainly because it gives them access to some of the thought leadership that we have. We are seen by these people as the leaders in stewardship. And so they want to have that engagement with us about how we're thinking about voting in particular. But probably the most important point they raised was that this will change the game in the States. And so we are the first of the very large US-led global companies to sign up to Climate Action 100. And that was seen as a pivotal moment that may shift maybe the approach of some of our competitor partner firms in America. And so that's one example of still
1: pretty much private sector coordination and collaboration, right? So as we think about the importance of engaging the public sector, Philip, particularly given your previous life as a central banker, what would you hope to see in the next year or two from the public sector or public-private kind of coordination on this topic?
0: Well, I think we'll need to see where the legislative journey goes. And of course, at the moment, there is a kind of big elephant in the room that you have divergence between the US and Europe on this, which creates a set of challenges. The world is as it is, so we will have to live with that. Markets will have to adapt. The more of a kind of common ground we see over time on whether it's carbon pricing legislation or other regulation and laws, the easier it will be for the private sector to adapt. So I think the principal question will be how do the major jurisdictions legislate and set regulatory requirements around climate change and indeed other sustainability-driven issues. The other one I think that's important is, I would expect you're going to see a number of private public sector initiatives to tackle some of these things. I mean, the overarching economic requirement is significant investments in order to tackle climate change, in order to facilitate this transition to a low-carbon economy. And that's going to require both public sector incentives, public sector participation, but it will also require private capital. And in fact, one of the things we announced was this climate finance partnership with the Mm -hmm. chairman of the French government and some private foundations that would basically galvanize private sector capital together with the public sector into infrastructure projects that would enhance sustainability. I would expect we're going to see more private market, public sector, cooperative schemes to direct capital, particularly into the infrastructure area where there's going to be an enormous need of capital if we want to transition towards a low-carbon economy. In some ways, the hardest piece will be, of course, in the emerging markets. That's where we have the greatest, in many ways, the most significant challenges with regard to transition. And indeed, one of the elements of the Climate Finance Partnership is actually that we do have an allocation to Africa, which was very important to the French government, and I think that's the right thing to do. Now, these things will be difficult. We know that it's not easy to source good projects, to execute them, have good governance and the rule of law. So, there are always challenges involved in this, but these are the types of challenges that we will have to rise to in the years and decades to come.
1: So, that means we, the French government, German government, will essentially be investing in. On-the-ground renewable energy, clean energy projects in Africa, together
0: with private foundations. So again, it was very important that we had this private-public sector combination Mm -hmm. in this climate-finance partnership.
1: So as we think about what implementing those regulatory regimes that you mentioned looks like, it might be kind of daunting for our clients, frankly, or for a lot of financial services. If we think about the last major change in financial services regulation coming out of the global financial crisis, we all had a sense of what the problems were, the plans and changes were years in the making. All institutions had a lot of time to digest what that might mean for them. What do we think this is going to look like as we start to talk about rules, regulations that different organizations are going to have to comply with? And what do you think, Rachel, it will really take for all of us to be ready over the next you know, year or two?
2: So if I think about it from an industry perspective, I think we don't even have a taxonomy around right. the language that we use to describe even the basic principles of sustainability ESG impact, responsible investing. And that's something that regulators and industry groups are working on. We certainly don't have yet broadly established tools and analytical framework that really does help you go deep into that analysis. That's one of the reasons that we've highlighted and Larry's highlighted the need for SASB reporting, the need for TCFD reporting. But there's a lot more to be done. Things like carbon pricing tools are critical. I think you will see that area of data and analytics evolve over the next 18 months quite significantly. Clients want to be able to assess in detail what are the risks that they're facing in their portfolio because pension funds, their members are asking them for this. Mm -hmm. It's very important to everyone. So I think that's an area to really watch. I think that will change over 18 months, but we won't be at perfection in 18 months. Right. It's an ongoing
0: journey. It's an ongoing journey. So
1: what do you think will be different about the conversation in 2020?
0: Well, I think the first step is really transparency disclosure, because without that, it's very hard to even know what you're dealing with. That's why these disclosure standards that Rachel mentioned are very important. We as a firm, by the way, are also going to do this. The more data we have, the better we can then develop analytical tools. A lot of progress has already been made on this. Academia is now very much involved in this data analytics challenge, in a sense. One of the reasons we have much greater comfort today and confidence that risk-adjusted performance will actually be better if you incorporate sustainability-related dimensions into your portfolio is because there's been a lot of work done in academia, a long-time series that begins to show this. Three, four years ago, it wasn't so obvious. And mm-hmm. so in many ways, if I think back 10 years ago, it was a niche industry that you did because you had certain values. Today, you can do it very much from a capital's perspective. The next big round will be the stress testing of the banks. That's a significant regulatory development that has begun in many ways in this country. Christine Lagarde has made it very clear already early on in her new tenure that she wants to look at this carefully as part of the review in Europe. So I think we're going to see very quickly banks needing to basically stress test their portfolios to climate risk, their balance sheets ultimately. That will open up an entire kind of new field of activity, both on the regulatory side as well as on the advisory side. So I think those will be some of the early developments. Then there'll be things like definitional issues, what is considered green, what is mm-hmm. not considered green. And I think finally the big piece of it will be on carbon pricing. And we'll see to what extent we get some kind of global convergence on that. That remains a difficult challenge as long as the U.S. government kind of pursues a different approach on these things. but. It won't stop. I mean, Europe is the largest economic area in the world, so Europe will move ahead on this front, irrespective of the U.S. in many ways.
1: Mm -hmm. So you're both very steeped in these issues. It's obviously apparent talking to you in part because of your roles, but you've also personally been very involved in the firm's agenda overall across not just those areas that you run and oversee. What was a sort of personal turning point for you in this sustainability journey where either you realized how and why
2: this was going to be so important or that shifted
1: your thinking about
2: it? So I did a town hall in September and I was asked a question by someone in the audience around how do we reconcile our holdings in fossil fuels with index and why don't we get out of fossil fuels? My response wasn't good enough and I don't think our response to these kinds of questions was evolved enough really and it didn't necessarily hang together. And so my takeaway from that was, okay, we have to change what we're doing or change how we talk about what we're doing because what we're saying is no longer relevant to our people. So I started from What do our teams say? And yes, clients were asking us questions, but one-on-one with clients, we could answer those questions very well. It was really our own people asking questions around our practices. How do we think about this? How do we reconcile? What are difficult sort of conflicting positions And I didn't feel like we were doing a very good job of actually being able to explain ourselves. So that was what I wanted to achieve out of the work we've been doing recently. Mm -hmm. What about for you, Philip? Well, my
0: interest in environmental legislation and how it interacts with the private sector goes back actually to my dissertation on this in terms of European legislation. But to me, the pivotal moment in a way was the financial crisis, because what we went through, of course, in Switzerland and globally was this extraordinary kind of damage that was done because the financial sector chose to completely ignore risk-adjusted perspective on returns. So the crisis was, in a sense, a story of maximizing leverage, getting high short-term returns, and then suffering an enormous accident with far-reaching consequences that 10 years down the road were still, in a sense, digesting. And so it became clear to me that this mistake of ignoring risks in this case, it was leverage, now it's climate change, will ultimately produce an enormous accident in a way. And as I started reading the data, the research, and I started to realize these are not just kind of theoretical risks down at some point in the future. These risks are now manifesting themselves in financial assets. And if we ignore them, it's going to be at our peril and we'll repeat as an industry the same mistake that we made in 2008. And then like Rachel traveling a lot all over the world, and particularly here in Europe, I realized we just, as an industry, didn't have good answers to very good questions from our clients. And this was kind of, for me, was evolving over the last two, three years, where I saw we needed to make a major shift in order, both as an industry, but also as an enterprise, to live up to the expectations from our clients.
1: Thank you both so much for joining. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank
0: you. It's been great.
3: This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management, U.K. Limited. Authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. Registered Office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone, 44 20 7743-3000. 77433000 Registered in England and Wales number 2020394 For your protection telephone calls are usually recorded BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited In Singapore this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited co-registration number 200010143N In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management, North Asia Limited, and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong. In Australia, issued by BlackRock Investment Management, Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523-BIMAL. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell, or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein the provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the investment services guide available at www.blackrock.com. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.